Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by one of the most promising rising stars in long course triathlon, Frederick Funk. Frederick is from Germany and in typical German style is one of the strongest cyclists in world triathlon and has already used that to his advantage to win multiple 70.3 distance races and feature prominently at the front of big races, like, for example, being the only person to finish the bike close to Gustav Eden at the 2021 Ironman 70.3 World Champs. Frederick also won a big challenge middle distance triathlon on the weekend, beating American young gun Sam Long. Thanks so much for joining me, Frederick. How are you feeling after the weekend? Hi, Jack. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, really looking forward to this. This is actually my uh, first uh, English podcast. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm still a bit tired. It's now uh, three days after the race, but um, yeah, recovering slowly. Hey, I, um, one thing I really like about you is, is your Instagram. I think you've got one of the better triathlete Instagrams out there. And I'm not really a big Instagram guy. Like I'm not someone who follows many people or, or sits there scrolling all day. But, um, but I do like your Instagram because you actually give a little bit of detail. Um, like, for example, you, you've already given some pretty good details about the, the bike split that you tore to pieces on the weekend. Um, can you tell me about that? Is that like a conscious thing? Do you want to like give more data to everyone and, and like be quite open about what you're doing? Yeah, this is um, actually really like um, yeah one of my things. I'm also like uh, on Strava um, posting really all my sessions, swim, bike, and run since um, 2015 already, I think. So um, yeah, I'm making no secrets, um, posting all my power data, heart rate data, and uh, yeah, I'm really transparent about it. And um, because like for myself, I always um, love to see um, from from my idols and from other pros um, just like the data and just to see like what it takes to to be uh, the world's best. And um, yeah, that's I always found found it like uh, yeah, kind of kind of sympathetic and not like making a secret out of everything. And uh, so yeah, I really try to um, yeah publish uh, all I can, all the people want to see and want to know and um yeah um it's it's really great i think for everyone out there yeah well i couldn't agree more like and and that's literally the reason why i started this podcast really because it's a weird thing how there seems to be like secrecy amongst like a lot of people's training particularly in like the cycling and and triathlon world i reckon runners are, are quite a bit more open about it generally speaking but but then when I was actually training with with good people, I realized, oh, no one is actually secretive about it. There's just like this illusion that that it's secretive and that everyone's like hiding what they, they're doing. And what I'm finding out more and more is that people are actually pretty open about it and want to like want to talk about what they're doing because they spend 30 hours of their life doing it, you know. Um, so it, it's great that you're getting on the front foot and being like, hey, here's what, I, what I'm doing. And, and particularly the Strava thing, like not many triathletes like really good professional triathletes post every single thing they do on Strava. Yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, even the, the Norwegians, they, they actually also um, published on us all their training, but uh, yeah, re- recently they also start to, to hide their power data. And yeah, I mean, of course I, I respect other pros um, if they don't want to, to show any of the training and make a secret out of it. But yeah, in my opinion, I like, I don't need to make a secret out of it. I mean, if anyone wants to wants to copy it, uh, they can, um, but it will probably won't work out the same. You know, it's training is so individual, and I think, um, yeah, it, it doesn't really matter if like if you if you publish it. 
So um, who are you running your own program or do you have a coach that, that, that sets your training for you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm coached by uh, Dan Varang actually since um, end of 2019. Yeah, okay. So for people who don't know, he also coaches like Jan Fredino and Lucy Charles Barclay and Annie Haug and, and those kind of people, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So did you seek him out because of the people he coached and the success you've seen him had? And, and obviously you're like one of the strongest, if not, like you're, you're a top three, four, five strongest cyclist in, in world triathlon at the moment. And he's obviously he, uh, one of like the head um, of performance at, at like a, a, a big world tour cycling team as, as well as taking like Lucy and Jan and, and Owen's, Owen Hug's bike performance to the next level. Did you sort of seek him out because of those things or did he come to you or how did that play out? Uh, more or less. I mean, from that, of course, I saw that he's like a great coach and knew that he's a great coach. Um, but yeah, actually, before that, I was coached um, by uh, Roland Knoll um, through my whole uh, yeah, short distance career, basically, and, and in the youth and, and my junior years. And um, yeah, when I decided to to switch for for middle distance and longer distance, um, yeah, Roland um, actually said, yeah, may, maybe you should you should talk to talk to Dan. Um, I mean, it's kind of the same path uh, Jan Ferdino took, and he was also coached by Roland Knoll um, during his short distance career. And um, yeah, then uh, I got to talk got to talk with with Dan and um, another. Funny coincidence is that he's actually living in the in the same small village um, like my like my parents do. So we also got uh, some kind kind of connection already there, and uh, yeah, then we just sat down with each other and talked, and uh, yeah, it was working quite well. He had a free spot that time, and then um, yeah, we we took it to the next level. So is Dan picky with who he takes on, do you know? Or like, is there something special that he saw in you that he wanted to work with? Or, or because I don't, from, from what I know, he doesn't work with a heap of athletes, does he? Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, triathlon is, is actually not his main main job um, for coaching. Uh, it's, it's the cycling at um, Bora Hans Kruhe. So um, all he does in triathlon, he's just doing like from himself, like next, next to and um he has like i don't know how many how much athletes he has now probably like six or seven uh, guys some from short distance and some from long distance and uh yeah he's not he's picky because he has like of course not so much time then uh next to all the, the um stuff he has to do at boran's career and so yeah obviously um this way um yeah he has to be kind kind of picky, so it has to work out. Um, yeah, like the the connection uh, between coach and athlete. I think all of his athletes are really like um, working for themselves because he just can't be there on a daily basis. He can't come uh, for the races. So yeah, for me it also just works. He sends me the, the training plan uh, on on training peaks, and uh, yeah, I just work it down and um if there's anything then i just drop him a message or call him and uh, he tr just tries to get back to me so um yeah it's it's more like this uh, yeah re remote coaching and so let's talk about that like what kind of stuff do you and dan actually do like what does a a normal training week look like for you and and is there like areas that you'll focus on at certain times but not at other times like you're a really strong cyclist so i always see that and assume you must be doing a lot of, of really good quality bike work, but, but is that actually the case? 
Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, cycling uh, was something I was always good at. Like, I think for sure I have some kind of kind of talent there as well. It's also the reason why I switched from uh, short distance to middle um, distance qu quite early. And so, yeah, so I can just play out my, my bike strength. And, um, and then I, when I switched to Dan, um, yeah, I could even improve there a lot because like, yeah, Dan has a lot idea about how cycling training works. And we do really a lot of quality, um, which starts with a, a lot of, of uh, wheel to max and short intervals uh, during the winter months. And uh, when it gets close to the races in the summer, it's like, uh, yeah, long uh, threshold intervals and nothing like special, I would say. Um, there are like no, no secrets about it. It's just, uh, yeah, as always, it's just uh, consistency and um, uh, yeah, uh, training hard. Uh, and for Dan, it's also like for sure um, a lot more about quality than quantity. I think um, I, I train, even like in training camps, I train a maximum of uh, 25 hours per week. But um, yeah, in every discipline, I have uh, at least two um, big quality sessions per week. So when you're like at it, like let's say when you're in a training camp, when you're away somewhere or, or you're really dedicated to training and that's all you're doing and maybe it's like in preparation for a big race that, that you want to do well at, um, how, what does the breakdown sort of look like? Like how many Ks a week would you run, for example, versus how many you would swim and ride? Um, the run is probably like, the least um especially compared to um other world-class athletes um yeah we're just trying to build it up really slowly and uh think uh, long term there i mean i want to do the sport as long as possible and eventually i want to switch for uh for the long distance um but yeah we just take our time and like in the running uh, right now i do um yeah always around uh, 60 to 70 uh, k per week um, of course, with like I said, with lots of quality and um, yeah, swim and bike is probably like on a, on a higher level um, compared to other athletes. Swimming is like between 20 to 25K and uh, cycling, um, yeah, often like between 300 and 400 kilometer. And when you say that you do like a lot of uh, shorter VO2 max stuff um, for like a, a long period of time over winter, what kind of stuff do you do? Like, what do your what do your bike and run sessions look like that are shorter and harder? Um, for the bike, we do a lot of the this classic um, wheel to max intervals, um, like for example, three times, ten times, uh, forty seconds hard and twenty seconds easy, um, or like thirty seconds, thirty seconds. Then sometimes we even go for yeah longer uh, VO2 max intervals like yeah four times five minutes uh, really hard and yeah for the run it's mostly um, like two hundred so yeah just simple short intervals yeah right and as far as you're aware like is that what sort of everyone's doing because I know I was talking to Dan Plews the other day um, and and we were sort of discussing like because there's obviously like that really dominant Norwegian approach to training at the moment that everyone's talking about. And, and, you know, it's like the latest secret that, that isn't really a secret. Um, and, and we were discussing like how much they do that's like really high intensity versus how much they do that's a little bit lower aerobic intensity. Do you, from talking to everyone and from being in the world and, uh, and like obviously being coached by the same person who coaches the, the greatest triathlete of all time, probably in Jan Fredino, do you, do you know, like, is that kind of way that you guys go about things pretty similar? Like, 
some like a block of shorter VO2 max stuff when you're a little bit further away from races and then getting more specific and longer the closer you get to races? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, for sure, Dan has like his really own approach there because we really work in these uh, these blocks and uh, never um, mix it like du- during uh, during the weeks. But um, yeah, the Norwegians um, actually training really less uh, in the high intensity of VO2 max, but it's also just because the VO2 max is all just, yeah, it's on the upper limit. It's so high already. It, it doesn't need to be any higher. And of course, um, for me, it's, it's not that case. Um, I think, yeah, probably in the season, I would have like a VO2 max of um, around about 80. Um, and I think Blumenfeld had something like 92, <laughs> which is crazy. And uh, for sure they can really concentrate on only this um yeah uh, threshold and uh, aerobic uh, capacity um while yeah while i really have to work at uh, on the on that v2 max to yeah to be competitive with them that's so insane isn't it that like because i've seen like that stuff on instagram and i still look at it like 92 vo2 max from christian i just for, for whatever reason, though, even though my eyes tell me I'm seeing it, I, I don't believe it. Like, it just seems so crazy. Yeah, it, it is for sure. And in, in Norway, this is like almost so normal. Like all the, um, also in, in the winter sport, everyone has such a, such a high uh, view to max. So I guess it's also in their, in their genetics. So when you're like, this actually leads me into something I'm really like fascinated to talk about. And I mentioned it in the intro was the race at the 2021 Ironman 70.3 World Championships last year where I made a YouTube video about it if anyone wants to go check it out on the How They Train YouTube about just like what Gustav Eden did that day and how crazy what he did was like arguably the the single greatest triathlon performance of all time really and I, I was watching it like seeing guys like yourself mainly just getting strung out by by Gustav on the bike and eventually getting dropped by him and and you were the only person to finish within a minute of him on the bike and like I, I always look at you as as the strongest cyclist in 70.3 triathlon so can you tell me about that day and like what you were thinking when Gustav was doing what he was doing on that really hard bike course so yeah um I, I saw the video as well and I can definitely agree it was for sure uh, one of the greatest performances of all time in 70.3 it was really amazing just that like everyone knew gustav can can run really fast but on that day he proved that he's also can also outride uh, everyone in the field and that was uh, was really really um amazing and yeah i was there um i actually uh, followed his uh, his attack um and i had i had a problem after um yeah after 20k i went uh, with yeah, like 70k per hour through a, a pothole and um, my seat post um, yeah went down by like two centimeters and um, also tilted a little to the front so I was in a really uncomfortable um, bike position uh, from from 20k uh, yeah but then I, I still decided to just keep pushing hard and also decided to to follow uh, follow Gustav's attack which was crazy um, it was um, on that the smaller uh, hill um, before the before the snow canyon and uh, yeah he he overtook me and um, I just started to push try to follow him and I had to push like yeah 450, 450 watts uh, for for a few minutes um, to keep up with him and it was really I was like wow okay <laughs> I didn't know Gustav Gustav can ride can ride so well and um, 
yeah by with riding um in this uncomfortable position um like up snow canyon i uh, yeah i just completely blew up so it was also not the, the most clever decision to to actually follow this attack and um yeah and then uh gustav also um just pushed the, the long downhill to the transition and uh there he gave like yeah another minute to to the whole field and uh yeah it was definitely a really great performance uh for me it wasn't uh yeah wasn't a good day and on the run I decided to drop out because I just had nothing left. And so what I was wondering when I was sort of watching it and and now I've thought about it a little bit is out of it, like pretty much everyone was there. There wasn't too, like there was a couple of people missing but not not too many people and and to, for you to have those issues and still be the only one that could sort of go with that. Did that did that like race particularly leave you like thinking, "Oh, I actually probably can lead these big races like the Ironman 70.3 world champs and and I'm sure you've got confidence in yourself for, for even longer down the track. Did that give you confidence that you can come off the front of those races and, and really put everyone to the sword in the bike and put yourself in great positions to win almost any like middle distance triathlon you go to these days? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I mean, my bike ability gives me really a lot of confidence. Confidence, and um, is also the reason why I I can win um, some of the races. And um, I think I even got a little stronger yet um, on the bikes instead. Um, I mean, now I rode like almost three minutes faster than than Sam Long uh, on the weekend. So um, yeah, and I also worked on my run. Um, which is definitely important because that was always like, yeah, I, I was never a bad runner, but uh, also because I'm always riding really hard because I want to play my car, play my um, play my cards well. Um, my run just always like, uh, yeah, wasn't the best uh, compared compared to the, to the other athletes, especially to the world's best. So um, I, I I'm confident I can go down of, uh, first of, first of the bike at, at the big races, but um, yeah, to to really win these races, I still need to work a little on my run. Yeah, what you did on the weekend was pretty insane. Like, um, I guess firstly for for everyone who who hasn't followed your Instagram or your Strava, can you let us all know sort of like your numbers on the bike um, and the run from your race on the weekend? Because it was like it wasn't the deepest field ever, but. But from what I'm hearing, Sam Long is in very good shape, and and this is a guy who who came runner up at the the Ironman 70.3 World Champs, and um, he's podiumed in a, in a lot of big races. Like he's he's one of the greatest middle distance triathletes on planet Earth as we speak, and and you beat him pretty easily, I would have said. Um, yeah, it, it looks it looks like on paper that it was easily easily, but <laughs> yeah, it was definitely um, other than that and. Uh, yeah, on the bike, um, I also felt really great. Um, it's it's actually my, my home race, and so my, my old training grounds uh, where I grew up. So um, I know the course really, really well. It's a really, really technical course and uh, hilly. And I rode yeah, 322 um, watts average um, and 344 watts normalized power, which doesn't sound too impressive at first, I would say, but... I was never that guy pushing like um, this huge amount of watts, but I can get a, like a lot of speed out of that. So this is also always like really important for me that um, how much speed I can get out of the out of the power I put in. Um, yeah, the, the week before the race, I actually did an aero test with all my race equipment um, on a 15k uh, loop um, out and back, 
uh, flat loop and I for a 49.3 average I needed 347 watts and so I think yeah my yeah my CDA um, is also pretty good and I think that's also like what a lot of um, fans of the sport or also um, pro athletes forget about that it's not only about the power you put in but also about the, the speed uh, you take out of that yeah, Cameron Worth always talks about that. He's one of the main guys that I hear in the world talking about that, that it, it doesn't really always, like the, being the fastest cyclist in, in, in a race isn't really always about pushing the most power. It's about finding the most speed out of the course, which I think maybe at the moment in, in the triathlon world particularly, there is a huge focus because of, well, mainly because of like indoor training, like Zwift and being able to compare your numbers to other people where we, we do get a bit obsessed with with the power number like oh I can hold this many watts for 20 minutes or and and what does that what what like how does that compare to what he or she can hold for 20 minutes so it, 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 that kind of stuff like although it's very important it's not the be all and end all to being a fast cyclist in triathlon is it yeah exactly and like during the COVID time I did some of these uh, swift races um, also with uh, with super league and this swift pro three series and I never finished at the front. I always got, got dropped. And I, I mean, it was already like when I would have considered myself as one of the best cyclists, but there were guys cycling so much better than me um, who like finish, yeah, five to 10 minutes behind me on the 90K um, TT and uh, the 70.3. So yeah, it's definitely not everything about, it's not, not all about the power or what's per kilo. Hey, I want to talk about this. I've never talked about this with anyone. Uh, maybe I talked to Reedy about it. I'm not sure. But on on those races, like during COVID when everyone was doing those like Zwift races, um, like there was like a, you know, a, a triathlon series that was like a, a bunch of pro triathletes doing races on, on Zwift and, and there was like quite a few in the cycling world as well. I, I see those things and I, I see someone like you getting beaten by people who, I'm not going to mention names, but some pretty like, weak cyclists how much cheat like there has to be some cheating going on there like people putting in lower weights so their power to weight like ratio the whole thing that that zwift is ran ran off or you know whatever app um, that they were on is ran off um like there there just had to be some people cheating from what i was seeing because it doesn't it doesn't add up yeah for sure i mean the problem is just that every power meter or every um yeah home trainer turbo is just calibrated so so different like um, for myself, I had a, um, a tax uh, Neo before I switched um, switched to the Wahoo uh, Kicker, and actually they're both reading a, a twenty, yeah, like yeah, like almost ten percent uh, different, and it's crazy. So um, uh, yeah, if you if you want to make these races fair, you really have to go everyone at, at get everyone at one place, and everyone has to ride uh, the same. Yeah, kind of turbo, and otherwise it it can never be hundred percent fair. I guess it was one of those things where everyone was just like, "Oh, well, we're stuck in our houses. I guess this is better than nothing." Like it was, it was uh, not ideal. Yeah, it it was still, it was still fun. It was still fun. Yeah, and a, and a really good and hard hard training. It was just that time. It was just fun to to race anything because we just missed it. Hey, I was talking to Kyle Smith last week um, and he is like obviously Jan Fredino's main training partner at the moment. We talked about that quite a lot. 
Do you do most of your training by yourself or, or do you do it with, you know, some other pro triathletes or, or amateur triathletes or pro cyclists or, or just friends from where you live and, and where you train or how does your training setup look? Um, right now I'm, I'm living in, in Nuremberg and here we actually have a really good um, yeah, squad for, for short distance, from short distance athletes. And I, I actually swim with them, which is which really it's really great and also really important to have a have a group there. They're all really fast in the water, and um, yeah, the cycling and running. Um, if it's easy, um, I, I have uh, yeah guys I can I can go with here. Um, but if it's like intervals, I, yeah, I do most of that alone. What's sort of like um, at the moment? Like obviously you just done a race where you've had like a pretty crazy performance one of the better performances of the of the year and there's been quite a few in my mind what were some of like the really hard sessions you did leading into that like what were what were one or two of like the really key brutal bike sessions or or, or swims or runs there were quite a few i had two really uh, hard training weeks um leading into the race so overall the hard thing was just the combination of every session in these two weeks so um like i said it's for done, it's also not we, we don't have like this one really hard session. Um, just about that we repeated um yeah, week by week. And yeah, but just to to have an example where what was really, really hard on the bike um was uh six times, um always starting with two times uh 30 seconds hard, 30 seconds easy, right into um eight minute of threshold. And when I saw it on paper, it was like, okay, two times 30, 30, that's nothing. And an eight minute threshold is also totally fine. And that's six times. But when I did the session, it was like, you're going really hard. And then right, the, the threshold feels just so much harder because you did this two times 30 seconds. And yeah, like for me, it was like 500 watts before. So your legs were like, yeah, it was was really really tough for the legs. So that was a really hard session. It which looked uh, much easier on paper. And um, for the run, um, yeah, we had a, a few really long uh, threshold sets. Um, for example, I had one set which was uh, starting with uh, four times five hundred um, at like yeah, almost like VO two um, or like yes around three minute pace. Um, then into nine times uh, 1k um always one um below race pace one at uh, race pace and one at uh, threshold um everything was with like yeah 200 to 300 meter easy jog between and then finishing off with a 2000 meter uh race pace uh, like if i aim race pace in training i always go like yeah 320 yeah right that's actually a pretty big session so for the for the nine by one was actually firstly did you do that like on a on a path or were you on a track when you did that um i actually did it on a track so i can um yeah train my nutrition as well it was also quite warm that day so i have just uh, water um every few few laps so uh yeah it was easier and so for the for the nine by one k in the, the middle like the the meat of the session what sort of pace were you were you doing those nine one k's in frederick um, the goal pace was like uh, 3.30, 3.20 and 3.10 and uh, yeah, like with a 300 meter, one and a half minute uh, jog between. Um, yeah, and sometimes it was, yeah, a few seconds faster than that. 
Yeah, that's a that's a massive session. You you just did that like did you just do that fresh or did you do that off like a really hard bike or big bike the day before or that morning? Mm, the day before I actually had a, a, a easy day uh, with it just just an easy swim and I I prepared the session with a one hour easy bike um, like as a warm up. But yeah, I was I was kind of, kind of fresh going into that session. That, that's actually something I'm always really interested in. Do do you do a lot of bricks like? Um, are you doing much riding into running or swimming into riding or do you tend to do your stuff like a little spaced out where you have, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours between your sessions? Yeah, um, actually at, at Dan, we do barely any brick sessions. Um, I think just because it can really, um, yeah, can really kill you if you, if you do it, do it too hard. And um, yeah, when you start just do our interval session on the on the run when you're already um, yeah in a calorie deficit uh, from a hot bike session, yeah it can just like knock you out for a few days. So um, that's why we really bar- barely do brick sessions. The only like real break we do um, is like ten days before race. I always have um, yeah like a three hours um, TT uh, bike ride uh, with without any intervals. And then I have a, a 5K uh, race pace, a run off the bike. So that's actually the only rear brick we do in, in training. And yes, yeah, like I said, sometimes we, we do like one hour warm up before run. But um, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't really call it a brick. And then you just, you sort of just brought up um, being like under fueled there or like how how certain sessions will make you make you need to, to fuel a bit more. And, and if you don't do that, then you can get burnout. Um, how, how heavily do you guys focus on your nutrition at the moment? Like, are you one of those guys who is obsessed with what you're eating or really needs to eat clean or, or are you one of those guys who, you know, loves eating junk food while you train? Like what, what, what kind of, what kind of category do you fall in there? Um, I'm more like on the side of the, like the Norwegians there for me, it's, it's all about getting the calories in so i'm recovering from my sessions so um i'm eating as as much as i can um during during the sessions especially during the hard sessions i also want to practice my my race nutrition um so for example if we, if we have like a three hour bike session with yeah uh 115 uh, hour worth of uh, threshold intervals um i nowadays aim for uh, 360 grams of, of carbs for the total session yeah um, yeah, which is which is quite a lot. I mean, uh, if someone wants to to try to eat uh, 360 grams of carbs in three hours, it's like um, how much is it? Like 15 15 gels around if you if you eat it in gels. That's crazy. <laughs> so so yeah, it's, I already have to start during the warm up uh, to eat. Otherwise, I, otherwise I can't do it. And uh, yeah, apart from from uh, from training, I um, I try to eat. Um, healthy but i don't focus too much on it because otherwise it just don't worries and uh, when the training gets so much and yeah then you just eat like uh, it's probably way too less and you're just not recovering well so uh yeah then i just have some sometimes junk food as well or um whatever so i don't think uh um it's i think it's more important to really get the calories in and then secondary uh, you should uh, watch like how you get uh, calories in. So I've sort of got two main questions off that. Firstly is like, if you are eating some junk food, what are your go-tos? What are your favorites? Um, I mean, obviously, when, if I'm in a train phase, I, I don't really do uh, t- 
to, to try to not eat too much of junk food, especially not like, um, yeah, McDonald's or, or that's that stuff. Um, like the only, yeah, what you can call junk food, uh, during my uh, training phases, like, like pizza, uh, probably. And, uh, yeah, but after, after race, um, I definitely have a really, really good burger, uh, which is, which is my favorite junk food probably. <laughs> and then the other aspect I want to touch on is, What's the thinking behind going so heavy with with sugar or carbohydrate during your training sessions? Is it is it purely just to get your body and, and stomach um, used to doing it for for race day, or is it so that you can continually back up and back up and back up because you're doing so much so much hard training that that like if you uh, are not eating enough sugar, then it makes following sessions and days much harder to to finish. Uh, yeah, both of that. I mean, if in the race I um, try to aim uh, to eat like 120 to 140 gram uh, grams carbs per hour, and that you really have to have to train. I mean, you can't just can't just do that. Your your body won't absorb the carbs, and you end up with uh, stomach problems. And uh, so, yeah, you definitely have to to train that uh, in the training, and um, also when I, anytime I eat like so much during the training, it just feels so much better the next day. Like it wouldn't even have a hard session. Um, the last day it's, it makes such a huge difference. And, um, I never realized it, uh, until I, I really focused, focused on that every day. Um, also of course to eat, uh, normal, like, or have, uh, some proteins right after the session. Um, it's just, uh, that's why that's why how you can train really really consistent and just uh, go hard again the next day 140 grams of sugar per hour when you race is so high and like so much higher than than what historically has been thought of as as the normal or, or what you should do like that it's been like a bit of a thing lately where and i think maybe morton with the, the company that really started driving the change is that more car like is just people like in um, intaking more carbohydrate per hour when they're racing whether it be like they're doing a, a marathon or whether they're doing a, a long distance triathlon but even then like a lot of people are still only doing you know 80 90 sort of maybe 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour but yeah you're doing 140 grams of carbohydrate per hour when back in the day like people were doing 60 70 even 50 grams per hour so it's like so much and i know the norwegians do that as well as uh, i know well i know a lot of like the guys at the top of guys and girls at the top of pro triathlon are doing that at the moment so is that like something that's that's been changed with you recently or have you been doing that pretty much the whole time you've been in the sport um no i think i'm like really focused on that since yeah really beginning of last year so before that i also didn't really look like how much uh, calories uh, or carbs I eat during the sessions or uh, during the race. I was always like, okay, yeah, around that, that, that's fine, that's enough. And but now I really, really count it, and I really just try to keep the calorie deficit also during a race as low as possible because it's just as lower as low as it is. Or if you even manage to not have a calorie deficit at all going onto the run, it's just. Uh, yeah, you would you will be just so much faster. And were you the driving force behind that? Were you like looking at your data and and thinking about how you were feeling during races and and thought like maybe I'm not eating enough sugar and 
and then went about like researching and figuring it all out or you know was was Dan um, your coach the driver or was it seeing what other people were doing what 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 made you decide to go and, and start increasing your carbohydrate intake during races it's a good question how, how it actually started for me but I think it's more that yeah I just started to um, get interested in yeah like the science behind behind training and uh, also um, of course it's always uh, connected um, to um, how much energy you burn like this uh, VLA max uh, parameter also plays such a big part because as lower it is basically as uh, yeah less energy you burn um, in your yeah at around your threshold it, yeah if I can say it like that I'm I'm not a scientist, so I don't want to talk too much about too much about it. But yeah, I, I just read into it and also like um, read that uh, if you want to take like it's possible to take like 120 grams carbs uh, per hour, but uh, you have to train it. Um, otherwise, your yeah your body won't absorb it. So uh, yeah, I started to do that, and I just felt the difference uh, straight away. And what are you taking on during races to get your 140 grams per hour? Um, I'm I'm working together with with Power Bar, um, so yeah, I'm usually mixing like uh, the iso- iso- the isotonic drinks with uh, a lot of gels. I mean, I, I mixed I mixed the gels like yeah, I mix the gels like in, in a bottle with water just to have it. Uh, it's easy in the race. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, is it hard to get it like all in because? you obviously have to have so much like on your bike to make that possible. Like you can't really be grabbing stuff on the, on the aid stations. And if you're out there for two hours, you obviously need almost 300 grams of carbs, which is like, that's quite a lot, isn't it? It's, um, it's probably like 10 to 15 gels, depending on what, what brand you're using. Um, that's, that's a lot to take in. Yeah. Um, I, and I have like, have it in two, two bottles, um, like at my front hydration system and, uh, at the, uh, at my yeah, bottle cage uh, and yeah it's it's definitely a lot and uh, you it's also important to definitely uh, drink uh, a lot of liquid with that it's it's interesting because like recently there's there's like two ways that that people tend to to look at it it's like um, during training people either go like less sugar and and you know won't eat or 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 take on sugar for like every ride they do pretty much or when they run or they'll do like fasted runs or rides in the morning. And then, then you have the other camp, which is clearly what you're in where you're, you're going the opposite and saying like, no, I need as much sugar as I can before, during and after. Um, did you ever consider going the other way and like, and trying the, 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 the other system that, that, you know, people do? Um, like until last year, I really did like, almost every time my first session was uh, was fasted i just had like a, a coffee in the morning and then went out for a run or uh, went for a swim and, and i just realized it's just it's just not not good it's just you're much more tired from it, it even an easy run can like m- make you a lot more tired than if you would just eat a bite before that and uh yeah i think um it's just just better for the overall regeneration to eat. Um, I mean, of course, is everything is is always an individual, and for some uh, faster training might work really well. But I think for me, this is definitely the better approach to 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 get the calories in already before the training in the morning. 
Hey guys, just a quick break from the podcast to say thank you so much to everyone who has already signed up to, to Patreon last week. Uh, it honestly means so much. I'm going to start doing personalized shout outs during episodes from next week's show um, to say thank you to each and every person who signed up, unless you messaged me on Instagram or on Patreon, asking me not to, of course. Uh, and just a reminder that if you do listen to the show, if you enjoy the show and you find value in it and would like to support me on Patreon, that you can do so for either $2 or $5 per week. Uh, and it is quite literally what will keep the show going going forward. Um, the link to sign up is in the description for this episode or it's over on the How They Train Instagram bio. Enjoy the rest of my chat with Frederick. And again, thanks so much for, for supporting me and the show. And then going ahead this year, what are your sort of main goals left? What are your, like, if there was one race you could win or do really well at this year, what is it that you're targeting? Um, my next race is going to be the PTO Canadian Open next month. And yeah, that or the US Open, I definitely want to prove that uh, I can be there at the front with, with the world's best. So yeah, I, I would prefer one of those two races uh, over the 70.3 worlds I would do uh, end of October. Yeah, wow. You would So if you could win one of those races, the 70.3 worlds would be the last that you would pick. Yeah, yeah, true. Because, but, I mean, it's also because I think that the field will be even stronger at like the Canadian Open and the US Open because um, then there will be a Kona happening in October and I don't know how many guys uh, apart from the 70.3 specialist will still do um, the uh, 70.3 Worlds or who will actually be in shape yet after all those big races this year. Yeah, great point. Something I've talked about a fair, fair bit is like just how many races there are on this year and like who will even still be standing in those big races at the end of the year? Because like, even to this point now, everyone's like had pretty crazy race schedules, haven't they? Yeah, true. That's why I try to um, have a really have not too much races until now. I mean, actually until now, apart from Summerine, we had a, a DNF because of a, a puncture. Um, I only had the 7.3 and, and Kreisko in Germany and now Challenge Weisse. Um, But I know some guys who already did like, five or six uh, 70.3s this season and it's just like yeah half of the season uh done and the big races are still to come so i, re I really try to focus uh now the second half of the, the opens and the 70.3 worlds so i mean i guess this is in a way following on from what we were talking about with um with gustav eden like the performance he put on at 70.3 worlds last year and you've just said that if there was like a one race you could win, it's it's one of the opens. And we know that with the Canadian Open that that Christian and Gustav will be there and like Lionel Sanders and pretty sure Patrick Lang might be making his comeback there. And like Daniel Backengard, who who's, was on the podium in that that World Championships that we talked about. Um, and like, I mean, there's there's 20, 30 names I could list. Like everyone's there pretty much outside of uh, outside of Yarn. Um, and I, I don't know, Alistair isn't racing either, is he? But pretty much everyone else is there. So... Who do you look at when you look at that start list and think, oh, if if they have their like best day, they're probably the person who is going to win? Do you do you expect Gustav to do sort of the same thing he did at seventy point three Worlds last year? And and when you're thinking about that, does it change the way you think about how you want to race? Um, yeah, it's hard to tell. I mean, the the field is just so strong that I would say that uh, there would be like probably like twenty guys who could really win this race uh, on, a, on a good day it's not only only the the Norwegians so I don't really try to focus too much on on who is starting there um, 
I always like try to act spontaneous uh, during the race. And uh, so I just try to do my, my own performance and then uh, react for whoever uh, is, has a good day on that day. And um, yeah, just try to play my, play my cards well. Um, I don't make myself too much press, pressure. I mean, I haven't shown yet that um, I'm able to, to um, yeah, be at the front of those races. So I really actually want to, to prove it to myself that um, I can uh, yeah, swim strong, uh, ride strong, and then uh, also uh, run strong off the bike. Yeah, because I, I guess I, I always do wonder like how much conversation goes on between you guys about like, hey, if if this does happen, how about we do this? Like, I know there's been a few pretty famous examples in triathlon of guys getting together before races to make things happen, like um, the Great Britain team getting together to to swim Javier Gomez like off the off the course and like push him into a wall when he was he was at his peak against the Brownleys, which was a pretty crazy one and. And, you know, like the famous um, Chris McCormack, Macca getting together with everyone and, and, and making Crowey's race really tough in 2010 at Kona. And there's a few other examples of it happening. Like I, I wonder, I always do wonder how much of that stuff happens. And like I look at the Canadian Open and I see, you know, the Norwegians there who are who are definitely informed. But then I see guys like yourself and, um, and, and maybe like Magnus Ditliv and I think, do you guys ever just go, hey, let's just smack this bike and make this race impossible for, for Christian to hold on or something like that? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, it's like before the race, you know, um, who who is like, uh, who how does the athletes play their strengths probably. And um, yeah, during the race, I just don't really, um, I see the athletes, but I don't really think of who it is. Like, for example, when Gustav overtook me at the 73 world, I wasn't like, okay, now uh, Gustav Eden is making his move. I was just like, oh, hey, here's someone coming. Uh, I try to keep up. So it's not, it doesn't really matter for me who it is. But yeah, of course, you um, also, I also try um, to, uh, in the race, try to work together. If there's like Mark, for example, if I would have a breakaway and Magnus uh, is coming with me and we work together, um, of course, it's just uh, good, good for us both then. And so going forward, are you like, is, is everything, are you sort of like really tunnel visioned at the moment about like, Hey, I've got this race in six to 12 weeks and I want to do well at that. Or are you sort of thinking like with the way you race, like obviously being such a strong swim cyclist who, who's like a really solid runner and, and only getting like better and better. Are you thinking like, nah, I want to, like, I really want to transition to, to long distance and do Ironman and win Kona or, or are you just, are you just, because you're a bit younger, just tunnel vision in the next big race that you want to do well at? Uh, yeah, actually, I'm really thinking, um, I, of course, I have this long-term goal um, of long distance and uh, I always said I want to win Kona. Um, but who knows if in a few years, Kona is still uh, the most important race. I mean, there's so much changes now in the sport and now the, the world champs this year weren't even in Kona. So who knows uh, how, how much uh, Kona will, 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 yeah, will count in the future. Um, but yeah, I, for now, I really just try to think uh, from, from race to race or from season to season. And I just want to improve yet on, on the half distance. Uh, really want to be there with, with the world's best. And um, if it's possible, even be the, be the world's best uh, on that distance. And that's also the good thing. We are just done and me uh, just really working so long term. So I really have to stay patient 
I know I have a lot of potential yet uh, in training, um, especially when it comes to to quantity. And uh, I think if I would improve, I could run 100 kilometer per week straight away and probably I would get a lot better in running. But um, yeah, it wouldn't be so long term. Uh, then I would be good for a few years maybe. But then uh, after that, I would be just probably injured all the time or whatever. So uh, we really just try to build up slowly. I um, have to, to trust in myself uh, to just get better year by year. And it, it worked until now. Um, I'm really just getting better step by step. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to um, to see um, how I am right now against the world's best at the Canadian Open. Awesome, mate. I think that's a, a really good note to end on. Um, thanks so much for for coming on and having this chat, chat Frederick. The, the main reason I wanted to have you on is because I just see you as someone who is going to really start doing massive things in this sport and and someone that if, if you're a triathlon fan or an endurance sport fan and you haven't heard of Frederick Funk, it's it's not going to be long before he's a household name in in the same sort of spectrum as, as all the big guys at the moment like Gustav and Christian and, and Jan. That's that's how good this guy is. So, yeah, follow him on Instagram, follow him on Strava. He, he I was just looking at his Strava before when we were, we were discussing his se- sessions and and you really do put everything out there, Frederick. It's it's one of the better Stravas I've ever seen, and and like I said, one of the very few Instagrams I'm a I'm a fan of. So yeah, give him a follow. Um, can't recommend it enough, and and can't thank you enough for for coming on, Frederick. And I'll be following the Canadian Open really closely because I think you're going to be a massive player there, particularly with what I saw on the weekend. So yeah, good luck and 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 thanks so much, mate. Yeah, thanks so much, and thanks a lot for for the chat. It was really fun. Awesome. Have a good day, Frederick. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye. See you, mate. Bye.